Come hear the merriment of bells. Come raise your voice in glad tiding. On a midwinter's night, fare you well. Let the lights of the season now beckon every man, woman, child, near and far. Let the hope that glimmers within you rise up through the night like a star. Come in from the cold now we gather. Come in for the warmth that we'll share. A, a people, people of, of hope and of memory. memory. We, we light our, our chalice, chalice and take time to care. And we also raise our voices in glad tiding. I would just like to welcome everyone to our Christmas Eve service. First the microphone wasn't on, then he wanders away from the microphone. <laughs> welcome to our Christmas Eve service. I'm wondering how many of you might be in the room for the very first time for the Christmas Eve service? Oh. Not, not so many, but welcome. It's so good to have you here. The rest of the people understand something that I'm going to explain to those who are here for the first time just now, and that is that um, over the years, words change to hymns so very often. Every hundred years or so, they'll just change them, just, just like that. And, and sometimes you'll look in a new hymnal, perhaps, that you've never seen before or that you've never opened up to a Christmas song, and you'll look at the words that are there and you'll think, oh, these are the words they should have written to this melody long, long ago. Or you might open the hymnal and look at those words and say, oh, my goodness. As in, oh, what did they do, you see? <laughs> and, and so the, the point of our singing here tonight is to raise a joyful sound in celebration of Christmas Eve. And so the thing is, is to sing whatever words you want to sing. So it doesn't matter if you're singing the same words as the person next to you. We're going to try to get close on the melodies, okay? <laughs> but, but for the words themselves, sing the words that come from your heart, even if your heart is creating those words in this moment. Uh, and, and welcome, and let's raise a joyful sound to the... Uh, pardon? The joyful, the joyful sound would be of... Oh, come, all ye faithful, which is number 253 in the hymnal.
And so the children come. And so they have been coming, always in the same way they come, born of the seed of man and woman. No angels herald their beginnings. No prophets predict their future courses. No wise men see a star to point their way to find the babe that may save humankind. Yet each night a child is born is a holy night. Fathers and mothers, sitting beside their children's cribs, feel glory in the wondrous sight of a life beginning. They ask, when or how will this new life end, or will it ever end? Each night a child is born is a holy night. Something holy comes into being. A new love is born. Out of fear comes courage. Out of darkness comes strength. Out of loneliness comes a togetherness. And so may the light continue, ever growing, ever spreading, one heart answering to another, mother to babe, father to son, friend to friend, friend to enemy, never ending, ever growing, ever spreading. Each night a child is born is a holy night. A child is born this night, the darkest of the year. A child is born and hope is lit to vanquish human fear. A seed of life within the womb so human, so divine. A seed of life to turn the tide within the darkness, there to shine. From ages past, a longing dwells, an expectant heir abides. From ages past, a dream persists, a dream from deep inside. Come, O come, Emmanuel, O infant of this night. O come, be born within our hearts, where dark and light unite. Not out there nor long ago, but here and with me now. Be born again in my own soul, for we are, I and thou, from the depths of loss and fear, from the depths of human plight, we strain to hear the voice within, so sweet within this silent night. Noel, now sing, Noel, good cheer, reach out beyond all strife to welcome hope's first gasp of breath. Tis we who must, who must midwife. A child is born this night, the darkest of the year. A child is born in each of us, Who'd let it be? Who'd let it near? Let us join in singing A Little Town of Bethlehem, number 246.
And so it was the day after Christmas at a nearby church, and the minister was looking over the crash scene on the chancel when he noticed that the baby Jesus was missing. Oh, yes. The baby Jesus was missing. All the figures were there in the nativity set, but no baby Jesus. Immediately he turned, he went outside, and across the street he saw a little boy with a red wagon, and in the wagon was the figure of the missing baby Jesus in that red wagon. So the minister walked over to the boy and said, Well, where did you get him, my little friend? And the minister he said, the boy said, I got him from that church right over just across the street there. The minister said, I know, I know. Why did you think it was okay to take him? And the boy said, looking the minister straight in the eye, the boy said, last week I prayed to the baby Jesus that I would get a red wagon for Christmas. And I promised him that if I got that red wagon, he was going to get the first ride. God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) We will now give and now receive our Christmas Eve offering. Our resident artist, Dr. Tom Parente, wrote the music for the piece that you're about to hear. The words, though, were written by Michael Baran, and the words are A Winter's Epiphany, and because of copyright laws, it's not okay for us to print those words, but uh, Dr. Parente wanted you to know what they were, and so I will read them to you now before our choir sings them. Timeless thoughts of a winter's stare, eyes gazing over a landscape bare. Memories drift on a blustery breeze. Dying light ushers in the freeze. 
reaching out for a grasp on the present, stillness sets in, alone and desolate. Future unknown, outcome uncertain, brilliance shadowed by a dawn curtain. Path now set, laid before me known, closing light now emanating from home. Enter my homestead, heart filled with glee, two eyes of the future peering upward at me, trusting in him to forge forward until fulfilled, basis of strength, values I have instilled, a weary mind at present permitted to rest, reflecting on the realization of how I am blessed.
Newsletters arrive from other churches in the mail every day, so I read them, and they get me to thinking. For example, ministers' columns this time of year say one of two things. The holidays are a happy time, or the holidays are depressing. The happy time school of thought makes a case for generosity, good cheer, and deepening spirituality whereas the depression advocates cite studies that prove the winter holidays are difficult. At the moment, the Happy Holiday group has a slight edge. The freshest crop of PhDs, having studied our December moods, found them to be merry after all. I beg to differ. With no empirical work at all to back me up, I'd like to make the case for people being regular people, even in December. Sure, mom is frantic after Thanksgiving, but she's a frantic person in general. <laughs> Brother John is not sure what the holiday fuss is all about, but he's always been the laid-back type. Aunt Martha gears up for a family squabble, but remember, she set up a round or two back in July. Uncle Joe is a natural Santa, but he's a sweetie all year long. In our family, we will incessantly exclaim, where's your Christmas spirit? From Thanksgiving until the 25th. This phrase at our house has always been an obnoxious code for lighten up, it's Christmas time, act merry, not human. I'm changing the code. This year, Christmas spirit will refer to the fact that we are who we are, merry or depressed, and we love each other anyway. The theologian, poet, and author Wendell Berry wrote last December. Last December, when my granddaughter Katie had just turned five, she stayed with me, with me one day while the rest of the family was away from home. In the afternoon, we hitched a team of horses to the wagon and hauled a load of dirt for the barn floor. It was a cold day, but the sun was shining. We hauled our load of dirt over the tree-lined gravel lane beside the creek, a way well known to her mother and to my mother when they were children. As we went along, Katie drove the team for the first time in her life. She did very well, and she was proud of herself. 
She said that her mother would be proud of her, and I said that I was proud of her. We completed our trip to the barn, unloaded our load of dirt, smoothed it over the barn floor, and wetted it down. By the time we started back up the creek, the sun had gone over the hill and the air had turned bitter. Katie sat close to me in the wagon, and we did not say anything for a very long time. I did not say anything because I was afraid that Katie was not saying anything because she was cold and tired and miserable and perhaps even homesick. It was impossible to hurry much, and I was unsure how I would, un- how I would comfort her. But then after a while, she said, Grandpa Wendell, isn't it fun? Let's sing Angels We Have Heard on High. Christmas in Bodesha by Dennis Hamilton. 
It was two days before Christmas, and the Reverend Emerson Burroughs of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Dallas found himself driving back from a wedding in a freezing rainstorm on a black road somewhere southeast of Amarillo, Texas. His Christmas Eve service back in Dallas was pretty much together. The orders of service printed and the choirs were all prepared. All he had to do was drive the 350 miles to Dallas. An easy trip normally, but with the roads icing up like this, it was going to be hairy. To make matters worse, he was nowhere near an interstate highway. In fact, he was nowhere near any place at all that he had ever even heard of. The wedding was one he had agreed to do for friends at their family ranch, and it had been lovely. But now he was having second thoughts as the ice began to cover over the narrow farm road that he was driving on, and the rain began to turn to snow. Suddenly, just as he came to the end of a bridge, he hit a patch of ice, and his car spun around twice, slipped off the road, rolled onto its side, slid down the bank, and plopped right into an icy stream of water. And there he sat with his heart pounding and the water rushing in the door. The door was pinned shut. Bing Crosby was crooning on the radio, White Christmas on the AM radio station. He managed to crawl out of the passenger side window, and he walked up to the road. The icy water was just dripping from him, and there on the bridge was a, a state sign proclaiming that the river that had just claimed his car was the knife fork of the Spoon River. And just ahead, there was a green sign that announced that he was about to reach Bodacia, Texas, population 1382, elevation 1952. He was shaken and cold, but thanking the powers that be that he was still alive and really unhurt. He peered through the swirling snow to spot the nearest building, and it was a white clapboard church, its sign announcing the Southern Cross Baptist Church, J.C. Brimstone, pastor. Just down the road next to the railroad tracks was an enormous grain elevator towering over the entire town with big letters proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of Bodacia, Texas. And below it in smaller letters and sandwiched between two very fierce-looking cows, it continued to read, Home of the Fighting Brahmins. <laughs> Giving up resistance to the inherent irony in the universe, he just burst out laughing. Then, pointing to the sign, he yelled into the snow-filled air, You mean Krishna is lord over the Brahmins, and really it should be the fighting charistas, giving reference, of course, to the Hindu caste system. These Texans, he thought, these Texans need to get their theology straight. And then, for a moment, he seemed to stand beside himself, watching himself, convulsed with laughter and quaking with the cold, and he became afraid. He could see a light glowing inside the church, and he made his way to the door. And inside, the organist was pumping out joy to the world. And Emerson Burroughs entered the warmth and sat down in a pew and listened for the final strains of the organ. And when the silence came, he was afraid to say anything for a while, for fear that he might startle the woman as she was shuffling through her music. But finally, he spoke up. Excuse me, he said but I've had an accident and I just wonder. The organist jumped up and looked at the drenched man and for some reason, as pathetic as he looked, 
She laughed and said, You okay? Looks like you got a winter baptism. (laughs) Emerson, shivering, laughed with her and explained his plight and admitted that it had been a, a real awakening for him. She introduced herself as Mrs. Brimstone, and after Emerson announced that he was a minister, she invited him next door to the parsonage to get warm. She called the mayor and the auto wrecker, they were the same person, (laughs) and sent Emerson into the bathroom with some of her husband's clothes. An hour later, the phone rang and Emerson was informed that his car was not going to be making any trips to Dallas that day. The phone rang again and following a rather longer conversation, Mrs. Brimstone turned to Emerson and made a proposal. Reverend Brimstone was, like Reverend Burroughs, stuck in a foreign land. He was at a seminary in Fort Worth. And since Reverend Burroughs was in Bodesha, and since he was a minister of the Lord, would he do the Christmas Eve service at the Baptist Church in Bodesha, Texas? Emerson Burroughs was astonished. Here he was in Bodesha, Texas, as far from home as he could possibly imagine, and he was being asked to minister to this congregation, and no one had asked, and no one even suspected that he was a heathen. (laughs) His mouth agape, his mind racing, finally he stammered, I don't know if I can. Can what? Mrs. Brimstone asked, confused. He was a preacher, wasn't he? This was Christmas, wasn't it? He might as well pray here with us. We need him, and he needs to preach. It all seemed obvious to the preacher's wife. And so he agreed. He made the necessary call to his own church, telling them of his predicament, and Emerson Burroughs began putting together his Christmas thoughts. He thought about those people, what they might expect from their regular preacher, about what they really needed, about what he might be able to give them. And he thought about his own changing way of looking at the world and at life, how his readings of Stephen Mitchell and John Dominic and and Cross and, and Marcus Borg and others had freed his image of Jesus, freed him from the Jesus of Paul, freed him to imagine Jesus as the confluence, the embodiment of history and compassion and justice, the avatar of Vishnu and Kuan Yin, so to speak, a flower blooming in the rich soil of human need. And here were people who would not question his devotion to this personification of love, although he would not mention to them lumping Jesus with the Buddha and with Martin Luther King Jr. Ironically, ironically, he was also freed from the constraints of his own congregation. And it occurred to him that this was a whole new kind of freedom. He didn't have to stumble on the words. He didn't have to stumble on the prayers, hoping he would not salt some still, raw religious wound. He knew that these people didn't question whether there was a God, and he could just pray, unabashed, knowing his understanding of God was different than theirs, but not so different at the same time. And so, in the candlelit chapel packed with families, voices singing the same songs that his own congregation was singing back in Dallas, He looked around and he saw not Baptists, not fundamentalists, but people. He saw people needing to be loved and he allowed himself to love them. He told the story of the Holy Family, illiterate and poor, 
Mary's being with child and Joseph knowing that it was not his, but allowing himself to love this stranger just the same. He told of the angels and the shepherds and the magi, never mentioning that they were a metaphor. And he came to a place where Jesus was born, when here the greatest power in the universe embodied in this child, love incarnate, offered itself to us to be held and protected, nurtured and loved or rejected. Here was the child, but being at the same time all children, teaching us that to love him, we needed to love all children. Hebrew and Roman, Hindu and Christian, black and white and brown and yellow and red. They heard for the first time that this wee babe came to save us from hatred and fear and prejudice by teaching us how to love and to accept one another, and not just who we thought was saved, but all people. They heard that God's arms were waiting and big enough for every child, for you and for me, and that God does not take no for an answer. By the end of the story, the gentle words and the plain-spoken truth flowing out of Emerson Burroughs brought something to those people that they had been longing for for a very long time, a healing and forgiveness, a permission to feel loved themselves without fear, without judgment, but with only a profound gratitude. And following the service, People came to shake Emerson's hand, to hold his hand, to thank him, some of them even with tears. The comments came from everyone. Well, that was the kindest, most meaningful sermon I ever heard. And Wilma Spencer said, I never thought about that every baby was like Jesus, but you know, I I believe that God made every child to, to need our love just the same as the next one. And you're right, if we love our children, How much more must God love him? And then Mabel Burner said, And I like the way you don't threaten us like Pastor Brimstone does. (laughs) Confidentially, I think he's too rough on us. I think he's a lot meaner than God is. And then Jason Grimm asked him, What kind of a preacher are you anyway? You a Methodist? And Emerson said that he was a kind of a translator of all religions, like at the Pentecost when everyone could understand each other. He was Unitarian Universalist. Later on his way home, Emerson felt like a a Universalist circuit rider bringing the good news west to Texas. But as he thought about the hospitality and trust he had received in Bodesha, he realized that the good news had gone both ways. He realized and remembered that It was he who was baptized there in the river. It was he who had been saved in the icy water and from his own prejudices as well. It was he who was given the gift of tongues to speak to this foreign people. He had received their blessing and their hospitality and their trust, not to mention their food and the help with his car. He left a richer man than he'd come. And he had found, through reaching into the hearts of these people, another, a richer side of Christmas for himself. Merry Christmas and deep peace in your hearts.
I invite you to join me in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life-giving love and love-giving life. Spirit of Christmases past and present and yet to come. Spirit of the darkest night of the year that surrounds us even now. We gather together to celebrate the birth of a child, to celebrate the birth of every child, to celebrate even the birth of the child in each of us that waits to be born. Even as it is up to each of us to make Christmas for each of the others of us, it is up to each of us to allow that which waits to be born in our hearts to be born. Each day is such an incredible gift. We celebrate Christmas Day as a particular gift, but only to remind us that every day, every day that we wake up, we have been given in order to find and to make meaning through the relationships around us, through our capacity to love and to give, through our capacity to be amazed by this world, to be in awe, to respond with gratitude, and in our gratitude to be of service. Let us hold this moment together in quiet.
And so in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augusta that all the world should be enrolled. And all went to be enrolled, each to their own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of David. Joseph went to be enrolled with Mary, his wife, who was with child. But the city was full of travelers, and they could find no place to stay. At last, they found lodging in a stable that was home to donkeys and cows and other beasts of burden. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to be delivered, and she gave birth to a son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger. Now when Jesus was born, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. In the countryside there were shepherds out in the field, watching over their flocks by night. And an angel appeared to them, and the angel said, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you news of great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts singing, Glory, 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 and and on earth peace and goodwill to all. We're going to be singing Silent Night in just a moment, but we have to have a little chat, really, before we sing Silent Night. I'd like to invite my daughter, Shana, and her new husband, Alex, to join Judy and I for this venture. No, 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 no. I'll I'll come back. I'll come back. Um, I got a text message from our president, Teresa D'Souza, just shortly before the service that uh, she was sick and not able to make it tonight. So Alex and Shana have, have come to, to be with us as we light our candles. Now, is there a fireman in the house? Do we have a fireman? No. Okay. So what I say is really true. <laughs> All right? You're just going to have to take that on faith. But then that's why we're here tonight, right? Okay, so, so we're going to be lighting the candles, and a lot of people think that that's funny, but it's not. We're going to be very safety conscious as we have our candlelight ceremony, and the way that we're going to do it is in a moment we'll begin um, by lighting a, a, one of the tapers from the chalice candle. And I want you to notice something about that chalice candle just before Judy lights her candle from it. And that is, is that chalice candle, I'll I'll ask it in a question, is that chalice candle horizontal? No, no it's not. This chalice candle is vertical. All lit candles, all lit candles should always be vertical. If you have a candle, Judy, would you now... Do that if you would. Okay, so see how Judy's going in horizontally with her unlit candle in order to take the light from the vertical lit candle. See how that works? 
And then now her candle is a vertical candle. <laughs> and it will remain vertical. And if I hold my candle to Judy like this, wondering why she's not giving me a light, she's going to continue to hold fast <laughs> with her candle in a vertical position until I remember, oh, this is what he was talking about. And then I will take a light from Judy's candle in that way. And now what do I have? I have a vertical candle, don't I? So, so we're all going to be very careful and only take a light using a horizontal candle and give a light only with a vertical candle. Okay, there's one other safety issue that we need to mention. Why do we blow these out? Oh, look. <laughs> one other safety issue that I, I'd like to bring to mind, and that is that our chairs are rather close together, and I want you, some of the people in front of some of you don't have a lot of hair. <laughs> We're not worried about them. There are others of you here who are sitting behind people that have a great deal of hair or a, even a reasonable amount of hair, and we want those people to be able to go home with all the hair that they brought here <laughs> with them tonight. So, so you want to keep your candle in the vertical position just right in front of yourself and, and not protecting yourself by, by endangering your neighbor, right? Because really, once a neighbor is endangered, we're all endangered. Now, I'm wondering if people on this side over here and people on this side over here see a bucket of water somewhere around the middle of the room there. And in the back of the room, you see the bucket of water. Okay, inside the bucket of water, there is a towel that we have pre-filled with water so that if anything happens that you think, oh, this should not be happening, grab the towel from the bucket of water, try to smother any... Uh, the flame, but not the person. The flame, but not the person. But if you, have to get the, <laughs> if you have to get the person wet, by all means, get the person wet. Okay, so let's pretend that you just all knew that coming in and, and that it's part of your consciousness now. And Judy, if you would go ahead and take a light, and when we have the four lights lit, then I'm going, I have a message for some people who are waiting for a message. Look at that, you have two. Oh, we're all doing this just that way. Okay, now, in just a moment, we're going to turn the lights down, and Marcus is going to begin playing Silent Night on the organ for us. And if you'd like to hum along with Silent Night while the candles are being lit, please just hum right along. But once all of the candles in the room have been lit, then we'll start singing the three verses of Silent Night, okay? So now those of you who are turning off the lights, if you would do just that, and we'll wait until they, Judy, will, there we go. So just pass it along then. Judy, they'll,
So we'll stay back here for a verse, then we'll go up. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy so tender and mild sleep in heavenly why don't you guys go first when we start the next verse sleep in heavenly peace silent night Holy night, child of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the host sing. Hallelujah. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Silent night. Holy night. It doesn't get much prettier, does it? Child of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face. With the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy
stories are told, the songs are all sung, the music is played and the bells have been rung. The season is here for the sharing of cheer, so take heart and give heart, for that is the spirit, from the legends of old for all who can hear it. For each one of us a miracle waits when we open wide, open wide, open our gates. May the season's blessings befall each of you, letting go what is gone and embracing the new. Blessed be and Merry Merry Christmas Christmas to to you. you. There are res- Thank you guys.